Well, good morning, everybody. We are going to be in John chapter 12 this morning, but we're going to take a little bit of a detour. I'm going to start off in Matthew verse 18, um, and it's going to be Matthew 18 verse 20. Um, and it says this, because I want you to take a look at this. And it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. And that's Jesus. Jesus is talking about that where two or three are gathered in his name, that he would be there. And this morning in John 12, we're going to see an account of a dinner, which they were honoring Jesus. And there were about three or four of them there, but he was there with them. In this scripture, and it says, two or three are gathered in my name, I will be with them. He will be in the midst. And God and Jesus is always within our midst. He's always with us. Now in this scripture, we're going to see different components of the church, different facets of how the church operates. We're going to look at Mary. We're going to look at Martha. And we're going to look at Lazarus. And what they do, they're three different people, and they're doing three different things for our Lord. They're serving they're witnessing, and also they're worshiping. And we're going to take a look at that. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to John chapter 12, verse 1. And it says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Now, what we see in this account is it's six days before Jesus goes to the cross. It's the Saturday before Good Friday. And we're going to notice what these two people are doing because it's Martha and Lazarus. We're going to see what they're doing, and later we're going to talk about Mary. But Jesus comes out of seclusion at his own risk to spend time with them at this dinner. He comes to Bethany to be with his friends. And they're enjoying this dinner before Palm Sunday. And in accounts of Mark and Matthew, it says that it was at the home of Simon the leper. So what I see here is I see Jesus, and I see Lazarus reclining, but I see Simon the leper there as well. And I see Jesus between these two works of his glory, these two miracles that he did, raising Lazarus from the dead, and healing Simon the leopard. Two miracles of his glory, showing that he was the true Messiah. He was the Son of God. And it's interesting as we look at this passage on what they were doing, because each person has a different passion and disposition of the heart on how they choose to serve Jesus. And each one of us have that as well. The first one mentioned is Martha. And true to form, what was Martha doing? She was serving. Martha was serving. You go into scripture and you see that Martha served. She cooked. She was serving. She was giving her best from her heart to our Lord through the gift of hospitality. That's what her gifting was. Now, Martha's been called the worried housekeeper. Can you imagine that? But think about this. If Jesus is coming to your house, wouldn't you want everything perfect? Wouldn't you want everything there well, I can tell you what Jesus is in your house. He's there. Our Lord, the Holy Spirit, is there with you all the time. And she wanted things to be just right. I know Cindy, my wife, when we have guests, 
Believe me, I don't want to be standing around doing nothing because she's going to, she's going to put me to work because there's things to do to make the house right. So I need to be on board with that, making sure that I'm doing that. But what we see is Martha is honoring God with her talents and her giftings. And she's doing it out of her heart that she loved the Lord. Some counselors today would say that she was probably, this was her love language. This is her love language that she had. She demonstrated her love back to Jesus by giving everything she had in her heart. Giving back to Jesus is an expression of love and devotion to him. In Joshua 24, 15, it says this, but for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. First point I'd like to make is generously serve Jesus in your home. Generously serve him. Generously serve the Lord in your home. But this was not the only expression of love that was going on in that house this day. We had Lazarus. And Lazarus there, the scripture simply says that Lazarus was just reclining at the table. And you might look at that and say, what was he doing? Was he just being lazy, just laying around? No, not at all. Lazarus, that would be a mistake to say that. Because the scripture is very specific when it says that he was just reclining at the table. Why Martha served Lazarus was just being in the presence of our Lord. He was just sitting there reclining, probably listening to every word that he said. He was in fellowship with him. He was talking to him. He was probably asking him questions. What about this question? Remember last week we were taught that Lazarus was probably up on the golden sands of heaven playing volleyball, right? With Abraham and Isaac. And all of a sudden Jesus says, come out. He brings him back. And he's like, what? I'm in heaven, and now you're going to call me back? So he's probably sitting at that table going, I got a question for you, Jesus. I got a question. What's the deal with bringing me back? I mean, we're in the presence of the Lord. We're in heaven. But that's what he was doing. Make no mistake, he was just enjoying the presence of our Lord every minute that he had with him. Church, there's something special just about simply being in the presence of our Lord. The next point I'd like to make is there are times and places where we're able, we need to be still and know that he's God and enjoy his presence. Just take the time, slow down, and know that he's God. Enjoy his presence. Simply enjoy the fellowship that we have with our Lord. Now we're going to look at verse 3. And in verse 3, we're going to find Mary. And Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And she takes her worship to another level. So in verse 3, it says this. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with this fragrance of perfume, this sweet aroma that must have filled the house. Instead of serving, instead of witnessing and spending time with her, with him, she simply just moved in love towards Jesus. She wanted it to be more drastic, more dramatic, because she was saying, I love Jesus so much. I'm sitting at his feet. 
And I want us to stop and take a look at this for a moment and recognize that there are different levels in which we serve Jesus, which we worship Jesus, and we witness for Jesus. And all those levels are okay. There are different levels, and each one of these people shows that different level. Both Martha and Lazarus loved Jesus, and their response to him with their service and their witness was perfectly fine. Jesus loved that. But the text shows us that Mary felt led to go way beyond what the others had done. She went way beyond that. The scripture says she took this perfume, and this is an expensive perfume from India. And it grows there, and it was very expensive. She takes this, and she anointed his feet. And the odor of this ointment filled the, the house. It was a perfume smell. I want you to notice a couple things about what Mary did as she anointed his feet. The first thing is, is that Mary is always at the feet of Jesus. She's always at the feet of Jesus. In Luke 10, 39, it says, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. I want to ask you, church, are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Are you just sitting, being in his presence and all of who he is? Do you spend time with him daily, all day, spending your time with him? She was at his feet constantly, expressively and expectantly. She was there because you don't know what could happen when Jesus is there. She was there. She was worshiping him. She was watching him to see what was going to happen. Do we do that? Do we wait expectantly on the Lord on what's going to happen, on what he's going to do? Now, the next thing, she was washing his feet. Now, that's pretty, pretty common in those days to wash feet, but it wasn't common to do it with perfume. And it definitely wasn't common for a woman to wipe it with her hair because back in those days, women kept their hair up. They always kept it up. They didn't let it down. But she let her hair down. This was a true honor to Jesus and love and appreciation in her serving and her worship to him. The point I'd like to make about this was that Mary, she gave her best to Jesus. She gave her best to him. Now remember God, he gave his best to us, didn't he? He gave us his son. He gave his best to us. And not only did she give her best to Jesus, she was willing to humble herself as she gave back to the Lord. It's impossible for us to honor God and maintain a self-importance self at the same time. John the Baptist said this, he must increase and I must decrease. We must decrease. To pour this precious ointment on someone else's feet is one thing, but to wipe it with her hair must have been very humbling for her. One commentator puts it like this. He said, since a, the woman's hair is her glory, she was laying her glory at Jesus' feet. That's where we need to be, isn't it? We need to lay our glory at the feet of Jesus, at the foot of the cross. She was giving up her pride she didn't care what anybody else thought. She didn't care what anybody else said. She was worshiping Jesus and honoring him from her heart, how she loved him, how much. She was giving to the Lord generously, just like the Lord has given to us. 
And I can just think about Mary, and I bet you Mary probably didn't wash her hair for how long, right? I mean, how long? She wanted to keep that, that fragrance there and knowing that it wiped the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So she had that there for a while. And church, I believe that with all my heart that when we come into his presence, it will be a humbling experience. As we worship him and we honor him, it won't be a matter of just routine. It's not just routine to come into the presence of the Lord. It changes us. It changes who we are. The more we know him, the more personal that we get to know him, the more it changes us from the inside. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been so overwhelmed in the presence of Jesus that it's brought you to tears? Have you been so overwhelmed that it has brought you to your knees? The presence of God will do that. Or were you like Isaiah who said this, when coming into the presence of the Lord said, woe is me for I am undone. And that's where Mary was. She was undone laying her pride at the feet and her glory at the feet of Jesus Christ. The very presence of Jesus afforded her this opportunity to worship intensely, personally, and very powerfully. And it's interesting because as she did this, there were other people in the room that just didn't understand what was going on. I don't think that they got it. While Mary was so consumed with worshiping Christ, the Son of God, there were people that didn't get that. There were others who didn't understand what it meant to give fully of their heart. But actually, the Christian life ought to be a beautiful balance of worship, service, and witness as we give back to our Lord. We give back to him because he is so graciously given to each one of us. And that's what Mary was doing. She was giving back to the Lord everything out of adoration, out of humility. Remember, our Lord has given us so much. He's given us eternal life. When we receive him and we accept that gift of salvation, we have eternal life with him. And also Mary gave sacrificially. There was a cost to what Mary gave. And sometimes for us, there's a cost. There's a cost when it comes to worshiping Jesus. But that's okay. And in verse 4, it says this, But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what he put into it. Judas Iscariot, as they introduce him here, he's a negative voice. He's the one who betrayed Jesus. And he is so blinded by materialism that he could not see the gift that Mary was offering our Lord. Do we ever get blinded by materialism? Sometimes materialism can get in our way and we can't see through it to give back to our Lord. Judas, like most critics, just put on a good face because he was saying, hey, I'm doing it for the poor, right? I'm doing it for this over here. He wasn't doing that because John makes it very clear he's a thief. 
He didn't care about the poor. He was a thief and he did not care about them. But the point I want to make is when you feel led to worship the Lord from your heart, there's always going to be someone there that's not going to understand. There's always going to be someone there that's going to critic, be a critic. They're going to say, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your life and you're wasting your money. You're wasting the best you have to give. An example of that is in Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 14. And what that says, let me get there real quick. It says this. This is about King David. He's worshiping our Lord. And it says this. Wearing a linen ephod, in other words, he was in a loincloth. He was down into his undergarments. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of the trumpets. He was worshiping our Lord. And he didn't care what anybody thought. But later, Michal, Saul's daughter, saw it. And it says this in verse 16. Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. She despised him. King David went on to continue to worship him all the days of his life. And people will critique us on our worship when we raise our hands or we drop to our knees. People will say something, but it does not matter because we worship an audience of one. And that one is Jesus Christ. This McCall it says that she was barren. She didn't have a child until she died. There's barrenness, there's dryness, and there's lack of productivity when we don't worship. Just ask her, ask Judas, and then ask Mary. How Mary was during this, because we worship for that audience of one, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The next point I'd like to make is Mary worshiped and was generous in her giving despite the criticism. It doesn't matter what people say. It matters where your heart is and what you're led to do for the Lord. Mary didn't care what other people thought. It doesn't matter what other people think. All that matters is that you and I demonstrate our love for Jesus Christ in whatever way that we can. Whether we're serving we're worshiping or we're just witnessing for him. And that's what I love about Mary. She didn't care what it cost at all. She didn't care at all. She didn't let anything get in her way of worshiping her Lord. And the scripture says that the odor filled the house. This, this ointment was going everywhere. The smell saturated everywhere. Everyone was, became aware of this gesture of love that she had. And that's true worship. That's what true worship does. It leaves this scent on you and everyone around you. When you truly worship our Lord from your heart, there's something about that that just radiates from you and other people get that. 
Even the aroma filled the house where everyone was at. And when you're in love with Jesus, that aroma will fill, that love will fill the air of that reverence and that fellowship will come out all around you. Everywhere you're at, people will say, what's different about them? And then you have the opportunity to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you what's different. Love has always has a way of enriching our community. Love gives its all for Jesus, just the way Jesus gave his all for us, each and every one of us. In verse seven, I love this part. It says, leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, Jesus knew her actions came from her heart. He knew this. It was out of love and gratitude that she did this. And Jesus was marveled. I bet he just marveled at her heart and where she was. And now he defends her. And I love the way he defended her. He demonstrates his faithfulness to us, even when we're not faithful to him. God is always faithful to us, always. In Hebrews 13, 5, it says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. That's what we hang on to. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? And that's a promise from God. And we live by the promises of God. And he says he'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He is our helper. He's always with us. Just like Mary, she didn't care what it cost. We shouldn't care what it costs to be at the feet of Jesus, to worship him. The truth is that we have that confidence in him as we give back to the Lord, just like Mary did. Don't let the things of this world get in the way of your worship to our Lord. In Mark 4, 19, it says, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that? We need to be fruitful for the kingdom of God. We do not let the world dictate who we are. We live by the promises of God, not the explanations of the world. And Jesus' response to the poor, he says, this can be done at any time. And it's interesting because he's saying, the poor you're going to have with you, you can take care of them, but you won't always have me. You need to prepare for my death now because I'm with you. The next point is we need to honor Jesus when the opportunity is at hand. When the opportunity is at hand for us to honor Jesus, we do it. We don't put it off. We do it right then and right there. Mary gave to Christ out of love. It's always the proper time to share love. And when the opportunity passes us to share that love, it rarely comes around again in the same way for any of us. So when you have an opportunity to share the love of Christ, please do that. But Jesus was saying, 
the poor will always be with you. What he was saying is he was quoting from an old the Jewish Torah. And what it said there is everybody knew this because they were listening. And what Jesus was saying about the poor, everybody was picking up what he was laying down because he was putting it right at them when he said that. In Deuteronomy 15, 11, it says this, Therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers and towards the poor and the needy in your land. It's important for us to recognize the context of this scripture that Jesus was not really talking about the poor as much as he was rebuking Judas. He was rebuking Judas. He wasn't talking about not being charitable to the poor. Jesus calls us to have open hands to those who are in need. We must rejoice in the blessings that we have, everything that we've received from God. And in turn, we need to give those blessings out to other people, those material benefits so other people can benefit from them. That's what Christ is telling us to do. So reading these words in the original text, it was meant to spur on generosity towards the poor, towards the church. Because remember, the kingdom of God is generous and gracious. And we give with open hands. The command to be open-handed came straight from Yahweh, came straight from God. I want to take a moment, when you look at your hands, and you can hold them up if you want. When you open your hands and you give, you can also receive. When your hands are open and you're giving, you can also receive. But if you close your hands and you hold on to everything you have, you can't put anything back in them. You can't receive with hands like this. But with your hands open, giving generously, you can receive generously as well. And we see the importance of giving to the poor and giving back to the church, giving to God above all things. Now, this perfume, you know, there's different variations of how much they said it costs. So I'm going to leave it up to you, whatever your year's wages is. Okay? That's how much it cost. But some people say it was like $35,000. It was a lot of money. It cost her a lot. And Judas was just hiding behind his religious, religiousness to show his greed. But he was robbing the people, the disciples, and he was robbing God. He was robbing God. And we think about it, how do we, how do we rob God? Well, Scripture tells us. In Malachi 3.8, it says this, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. Test me on this. And I want you to make note of that. If you underline that under your Bible, this is the only place in the Bible that you're going to hear our Lord say, test me on this. Because he wants you to test him on this. And it says this, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. How many of us don't want that much blessing from the Lord, right? We give to the Lord and he gives back. We can't outgive God. And he's saying, test me on it. Give back to me. 
your service, your times, your talents. Give back to me and I will bless you. I will give you so much that you won't be able to keep it in store. You won't be able to store it all. And there's plenty of ways to test God. There's ways that we can test God. The first one is the ways that we give to the Lord is our tithes. 10% of your income, of our income, those first fruits, go to your church or where you worship at. Wherever you attend church, wherever you're worshiping God, that's what they get. And then the offerings that you give, that's for the special needs of the church, the missionaries and other Christian ministries that go on throughout the church. And then last is the alms. And those alms go to the poor. That money goes to the poor. We give back to God. We're taking care of all these things. And when you give to God, he gives back so generously to us. And then how should we give? Like Mary. She was very happy, wasn't she, when she was giving? She was cheerful. And Paul's words in 2 Corinthians proclaim some truths about giving. It says, each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give from our heart. He wants us to give what we have been given back. But he also wants us to do it as a priority of faith. It needs to be a priority what we do. In Proverbs 3, 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to the overflowing and your vats will brim with new wine. Priority. It's a priority to give back proportionally and regularly. That 1 Corinthians 16.2 says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside some money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And then last, give generously with joy. Be a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9.6 says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generous will also reap generously. Many people misunderstood what Jesus was saying about the poor and think it was kind of cruel that he talked about that way. But nothing could be further from the truth. That is not what he was saying. If you study the ministry of Jesus, he wanted the poor and the oppressed to come to him so he could minister to them. Jesus owned no home. No animals, no livestock. He didn't have a 401k, no kind of retirement. He had no earthly possessions to speak of. He didn't even have a place to lay his head down at night. The only thing that he had was the robe in which the Roman soldiers gambled with when he was dying on the cross. The disciples sent the poor away, but not Jesus. And God is calling each one of us to live generously with an eternal mindset because that's what Jesus was doing when he gave his all, his heart for us. That eternal mindset, 100 years from now, what is all this going to matter? None of this is going to matter, is it? What are you doing that's going to outlast yourself? How will you be remembered? The question is, where are you storing up your treasures at? In Matthew 6, 19, it says, Don't store your treasures up here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroy them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, 
where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. That's where our heart is. When we serve the Lord with our whole heart. We serve him with everything. The kingdom of God is so gracious and so generous to all of us. Jesus gave fully to all of us. And this is how we should live. We should live generous lives, giving our resources to the Lord, our time, our talents, and our treasures. Everything we have, we have because of him. Generous living destroys selfishness as we serve and we, we give and we worship. We tell others what will outlast us, our worship to the Lord and how we serve. In verse 9 it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made a plan to kill Lazarus as well. For an account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Amen, right? They were believing in Jesus. You know, John makes this reference because they were still trying to kill him. The evidence of the miracle of Lazarus. If you don't accept the evidence, what do you do? You try to get rid of it. You try to destroy it. And this was still proof of their hostility towards Jesus. And now we're going to look at Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And he shows such courage as he rides publicly through the crowd of all these visitors that were there for the Passover and through his enemies as well. In verse 12, it says this, The next day the great crowds that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna. They got it. They were saved. They were rescued. They are in adoration and praise. The people acknowledged who Jesus was. He was the anointed one. He was their Messiah. And then in verse 14, it says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. Jesus is coming on the back of a lonely donkey rather than charging in on a white horse speaks of the peaceful nature of our Messiah. And I think I have a picture up here. Here we go. Jesus did not ride into the city as a conquering king, but as the Prince of Peace. He came in as the Prince of Peace. And what a moment this must have been for Jesus' followers. The crowds were all welcoming him. To have the Prince of Peace among them, how awesome would that have been? Do you have peace with God? And do you have a peace of God? Do you have peace with God right now? The Prince of Peace is among us. Then in verse 16, it says, At first his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. John tells us that they didn't understand. They didn't know what it meant until Jesus 
was in his glory until he was glorified at his death and his resurrection and then his ascension into heaven. Only then did they put the pieces together of what was happening, including this Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. It says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, and the foal of a donkey. In verse 17, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and he raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went to meet him. Last point I'd like to make is this. Generously spread the good news about Jesus. Spread the good news about Jesus. Tell people about what Jesus has done in your life and what he's done. When that door opens, kick it through. Go through it and tell your story about Jesus. In verse 19, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after isn't that amazing? Isn't that what we want to say? Look how the whole world has gone after him. At the same time, Jesus' enemies were confused and they were dumbfounded. And I think they were very upset because Jesus is riding through this crowd, flaunting who he was on this first Palm Sunday, and they just didn't like it. But there wasn't a thing they could do about it. They couldn't seize him. Because it says this, look how the whole world has gone after him. Are we going after our Lord? Are we seeking him with all our hearts? Are we generously serving him in our homes? Mary gave her best. Are we giving our best to the Lord? And are we honoring Jesus at every opportunity when it comes to hand. When that door opens, are we there sharing the love of Christ with them? The Christian life should be that beautiful balance of worship, service, and witnessing as we give back to the Lord. Maybe you haven't received that gift of eternal life from our Lord. Maybe you're believing now for the first time and you want to receive Jesus into your life. I want to give you that opportunity today to receive, have your hands open and receive what our Lord is giving us. So if you would, just bow your head. If you want to receive the Lord, just pray this prayer with me. Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I repent of those sins. And I believe that you're my Lord and you're my Savior. And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the grave and you defeated death. You were victorious over that grave. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. I receive the gift of your son by believing who he is, receiving the gift of eternal life, and following you faithfully and obediently all the days of my life. 
giving my life back to you generously as you have given to me. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 